You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Awesome. Remain standing with me as I open us up in a word of prayer and continue worshiping through prayer and through the word of God. Father, what a delight it is to come into your house and gather with your people and simply, unashamedly adore Jesus Christ. God, you're the only one worthy of our praise. There's no place sweeter, Lord, than in the presence of the living God, offering you our adoration and our praise. God, I pray that your ears would have heard the trueness of our hearts, that you'd be pleased, God, and and smile down upon us this morning as we gather. God, as we open up your word, now teach us your ways, O Lord. We don't just want to worship you. We want to become like you. We want to reflect your glory to the world around us. And God, we can't do that apart from your spirit. So take this word. Now, Father, apply it in the depths of every heart here that we might reflect Jesus Christ in all that we say and all that we think and all that we do. May it be for your name alone, Jesus. And God's people said together, amen, amen, amen. Awesome, isn't it? I love worshiping the Lord uh, together with you uh, week in and week out. Uh, Romans chapter 12 is where we're going to be. There are going to be a couple places uh, today. Romans chapter 12, uh, 1 Peter 4, Romans 15. If you ever did sword drills and you're a kid, get ready. We're going to be flipping and you can keep up. I know you can. You're all sharp. Uh, but we're going to start in Romans chapter 12. And if you don't have a Bible, please put your hand up. Uh, one of our ushers will be more than happy to get a copy of God's Word in your hand. And as always, uh, take it home with you. If you don't have one at home, read it. This is the, most, uh, the best, most cherished possession we could ever give you. The Bible will change your life because it will point you to Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of all things. So I encourage you to take it home and read it. Romans uh, chapter 12 this morning. We're continuing on uh, to the remainder of the, for the remainder of this ministry year, the one another's, uh, studying what it means means to love God by loving one another. And the one another's are invaluable virtues of the Christian life. It's the way that we reflect Jesus to the world, and it's the way that we love him with all that we have. And so hopefully you've been learning and growing through this, even through this series. I've, you know, came into this series, one another's, I get them, I understand, but man, my life has being, is being changed by what we're learning, and I trust uh, yours is too. And I also trust this, that you're not leaving here every week with this now heaviness of like, ah, oh, pastor just laid upon me something else that I have to do. Hopefully you're not leaving here like that. Hopefully you're not leaving here like, ah, get this on my checklist now, my spiritual checklist. Hopefully you're getting the heart behind it uh, more in the, in, the, in the reality of this is what God has called us to be as a community of believers. And when we're in Christ, this is naturally what we're going to do. Remember when I was a kid, uh, we used to watch those National Geographic videos of uh, the tribal, the tr- some of the, tribe, the tribes in Africa and get the inside scoop on an African tribe. And I used to watch those with fascination. Be like, man, these people are so different than we are. They think differently. They relate differently. They interact differently. Different customs, different traditions. And I used to leave those going like, wow, that'd be so cool to be a part of that. Really what we're doing here in this one another series is we're, we're doing a documentary, an inside scoop on tribe Jesus. 
And what it is, once you've been adopted in the family of God, this is how God's family interacts. This is how we think. This is how we relate to each other. And it should cause the world on the outside, once they see it, the inside reality of the church, that those of the faith, be like, wow, so cool. I want to be a part of that. And so I'm not trying to give you things to do. I'm trying to teach you the way of life as believers in Jesus Christ. This is a way of life for believers, the one and others. Loving each other and serving each other and encouraging and exhorting each other. Living in humility with each other and today offering hospitality to each other. So far we've kind of hit some broad themes in the one and others. We're going to kind of drill down on some narrow ones now. Some get really pointed to our lives and our hearts. And, uh, and for the next four weeks, we're just going to unpack four one another's that are like, they're not the broad love. They kind of all fit under the love umbrella, but they get to like, how do we actually truly love each other in Jesus Christ? Here's a great place to start by showing each other hospitality. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 13. This is under the heading, Marks of a True Christian. Anyone in here want to have authentic faith? You want to be known as a true Christian? Anyone in here? Yeah, most of us, right? Listen up then, this is for you. Among this list, 12 or 13 things, notice verse 13. Here's, here's what it looks like to truly be found in faith with Christ living in you. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. We're like, we get that, right? We get these. Yes, yes, yes. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. All marks that you're truly saved in Jesus Christ. Get verse 13, though. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who, who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty or proud or arrogant, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, as far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. I think we read that list and we're like, yes, 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 yes. And then we, we get to the big ones, right? Get to the big ones, uh, avoid the evil, and like live at peace and forgive those who persecute you. But we forget verse 13, which is just as important as the others. Don't, it's just as important as the others. We skip over it easily, right? What does verse 13 say? Contribute to the needs of the saint and seek to show hospitality. Tucked away in the middle of this list is an essential sign of the faith that you and I cannot neglect as believers in Jesus, and it is this hospitality. And I actually wasn't planning on preaching this sermon today. I had my whole sermon series planned, and, and then I had three weeks of a different series at the end. Then we lost a week, and then a two-week series wasn't going to fly. So I'm like, i got to find another one another just to skip in here and finish out the year with one another. So I wasn't really planning on preaching hospitality. And I thought it was going to be a simple, easy message. But as I got into it, you know what? This is going to revolutionize your life, and it's going to radically transform the way you interact with each other as you listen up. Because hospitality is a different understanding uh, in the Bible way of saying it than we do in our North American culture. So I'm giving you a one-point sermon with three sub-points. Does that make one point or three points? I don't know. I'm calling it a one-point sermon with three sub-points, and here's your point for today. Here's your point that we have to get a hold of. Hospitality is part of my new spiritual DNA. Hospitality is a part of my new spiritual 
DNA in Jesus Christ. Before we go too far, let me define hospitality for you. Dictionary definition is this. It's plain and simple. The friendly and generous reception and entertainment of guests, visitors, or strangers. Get that? Seems pretty simple, right? The friendly and generous reception, entertainment of guests. We get that one, right? We want to have guests in our home, visitors, thinking friends, but also this, strangers. Actually, the New Testament, the Greek word translated hospitality literally means this, love of, not family, not friends, love of strangers. Love of strangers. This is a command of God throughout the whole Bible. 1 Peter 4.9 tells us, I know some of you are like, well, Romans 12.13 didn't have a one another in it. How come you're preaching this, Pastor? Here it is, 1 Peter 4.9 tells us this. Show, show hospitality to one another, there it is, and do so without grumbling. Welcome people into your life, into your home, into our church, and do so without grumbling, without complaining, without seeing this as like, uh, the pastor's house calling me to hospitality. Urgh. Now I gotta clean the house and I gotta get out of my comfort zone and that's not it. It's, it's, I get to show others the love of Christ through my life by welcoming them in, welcoming, welcoming them into my life and into my home and into my church. You have to understand the context of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4 comes out of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Peter is writing to the Jewish people who are dispersed. They're called in that verse 1, elect. So chosen by God, called by that elect, exiles. You're like, that's sort of like an oxymoron, isn't it? No, they're called and chosen and adopted into God's family. But the world around them, the Roman Empire, was like exiling them. Their persecution abounding and life was hard for the Christians. So what happened in that day was Christians were scattered. They were forced from their homes at times. They were forced into other countries. They were left scrounging for food. They were left displaced, literally displaced, both physically but also spiritually. They're like, but this is my world, but I don't feel like I'm a part of this world and where do I fit? Ever felt like that? As believers, we do, right? In a world that's totally anti-God and it feels like no one gets us and understands. And we're, we're, How do we get along in this? Well, Peter is giving this exhortation to the Christian church. It's like, this is not like an add-on to your faith, believers. Because you're so scattered, because you're so all over the place, you need each other. You need to find belonging. You need to find help and hope in these times. Where do you find it? In each other. And so it's imperative that you live out hospitality. When you see a brother in need, you give to them. When, when they're passing through, they didn't have much money, so they couldn't get the hotels and the fancy places to stay. Where do you stay? You stay with another believer who welcomes you into their home. Hospitality wasn't just something that they did once in a while. It was a way of life. Where did they meet as a church? As dispersed Christians, they met in people's homes. Hospitality was how they survived in the early church. Oh, maybe this week I'll show some hospitality. Uh, 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 uh. If I don't show hospitality and receive hospitality this week, I can't function as a believer. And so already you're getting the urgency of this. I think, again, we skip over that hospitality. I think it's one of the lesser commands that if I have time left over, I'll get to that one. This is one of the imperatives that God has called us to. It's a, it's a way of life for us. Christians are called to 
in Christ pull people towards us rather than push people away? When the world is only pulling people towards them that are, that are like them, that think like them and look like them and feel like them, and, and when it serves their purposes, Christians are called to pull people towards us at all times, in all ways, even when it's uncomfortable or not the cultural norm. This is a way of life. It starts in our church and extends to our neighborhoods. It extends to our country. And even the complete stranger. Romans chapter 15, verse 5 to 7. Flip over there, one page. So I said stay in Romans. Romans chapter 15, verses 5 to 7. Tell us that God's not calling us to something that he already hasn't done for us and shown us the example. Look at 15 above the... Chapter 15 is a subheading. It says the example of Christ. Verse 5, May the God of endurance and encouragement, endurance and encouragement, grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Jesus Christ, in cohesion and conjunction with Christ, that together you may with one voice glorify God the Father, God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 7, it's actually the theme verse of our welcome ministry. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. See that there? The call on us as believers is the same thing that Jesus has already demonstrated for us. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed who? Me, us, for the glory of God. I want you to write this down in your notes. Your first sub-point is this. Jesus is a welcoming God. Hospitality is part of our new spiritual DNA. Where does it come from? It comes from our new spiritual father, Jesus Christ. He is a welcoming God. You're gonna hear this kind of message in different places in the world, this whole like, hey, welcome people in, love each other. You know what makes us different in the church? What makes us different than the rest of the world's message? Our church is not a a do-good, feel-good message. Our message of welcoming people in is actually rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. It's rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And think about this. God's call to welcome us is, is, God's call for us to welcome others is how he's already welcomed us in his son. How did God demonstrate hospitality to us in his son? How are we supposed to welcome others as Jesus welcomed me? How did, God, how did God show us that benevolent hospitality? Through his son Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus actually got out of his house left his home in heaven, came down to earth, sought us and found us wandering lost sinners, put his arm around us, turned us away from our sin towards God, helped us see the glory of our need of a savior through repentance and faith, and he brought us into his father's house where we'll spend eternity forever where he meets every one of our needs. Isn't that a sweet picture of being welcomed? So much more than a cup of coffee, isn't it? This is welcome. That's how Jesus welcomed us. It says that message in, in John 1.14. And the word became flesh. Think, think of the realities of that. God and all of his glory became flesh, took on our skin and dwelt among us and we've seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. What an act of hospitality. And he did this, Romans 5.8 says, and while we were yet still Sinners. I'm hospitable, I have my friends over and we hang out all the time. Well, we were still enemies of God. That's what a sinner is, right? Well, we still had no 
understanding of God. We wanted nothing to do with God. We're stuck in our own ways and customs and really didn't care what God's ways and customs were. Well, we're still harassed and helpless, it says in Matthew, like sheep without a shepherd. The great shepherd came. We weren't looking for him. He, he, he found us in our, our mess, in a hole, in a ditch, all messed up, unable to even feed ourselves. He picked us up and he cares for us as a shepherd cares for a sheep. You know, those people who look out, look, go look for stray dogs and the, the, the animal rescue people and they find these, these dogs and, and bring them in and nurture them back to health and give them all that they need. This is a picture of what Jesus has done for us as lost sheep. This is a picture of how we are supposed to welcome and be hospitable to others. It, it takes on a whole new dimension and I think the way we normally think about this in the church. How did Jesus welcome us? He initiated. He was intentional. He was intense in his welcome of us. And so in turn then, brothers and sisters, we're called to welcome others and mimic our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ because we've been saved, because we've been on the other end of this. Now we in turn want to demonstrate this to the whole world. And live this out in Jesus. Once you see this in the scriptures, invest, inviting others in has always been God's way. Inviting others in has always been God's way. God, from right at the beginning of scripture, instilled in his people this idea of being hospitable. God's plan for his church was never this. Private property, no trespassing. We do not call 911. We're not aiming for that, pun intended. God's call on believers has always been this. We are open 24-7. Like, my heart is open. My home is open. Our church is open. This is who God's people are. He's called us into this new way of thinking and a new way of life that's totally different than the way everybody at work thinks and the way that maybe you're, you naturally think in yourself, but this is God's way. Let me show you through the Old Testament and the New Testament. Uh, often we just pick one, one passage, we stick in it, we exegete it, and today you know, we're going to kind of give you a whole Bible overview. Can you handle it? Of course you can. So here we go. We're starting in the Old Testament. Think of Garden of Eden. Whose domain is that? God's, who did he allow to come in and share his domain with Adam and Eve and man, right? God demonstrated right from the beginning, hey, I created this beautiful garden. I want you to share in it with me, being hospitable to them. First act of hospitality we see in the Bible is Genesis chapter 18. Remember Abraham? He had a lot of stuff at his disposal, including servants, and three guys show up from nowhere. Remember that story? And Abraham, uh, instead of sicking a servant on them, or instead of saying, like, go away, I'm too busy, what did he do? He waited on them hand and foot. And gave them everything they needed in the process. You know what he realized? I just serve God. The Lord was one of them. And his two angels were with him. And it was a bit of a theophany there. And you know, a picture of God. And, and, and we see the blessing of reaching out and serving even strangers. We might even be entertaining God himself. It's actually a principle we're going to touch on that is hit in the New Testament as well. Move on to, from Genesis, there's Exodus. And Exodus, what are they? They're on the run, right? Once they settle down in, in, in Leviticus, uh, Jesus brings this uh, passage to them. And his, God, sorry, God brings this passage to them as he's trying to explain to them, this is how you now live in a new community. After, now that you're out of Egypt, here's how you live in your new community. Here's part of his instructions. In Leviticus chapter 19, verses 33 and 34. When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, so you got your land now, when a stranger comes in and gets in your territory, in your grill, 
Here's how you're supposed to respond. You shall do him no wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So in other words, like, don't forget. Don't get so comfortable you forget that you are at one time strangers as well. And then he ends it, that, that little section with this, I am the Lord your God. People get into your space and your tendency is to push them away. Don't forget that you were also at one point in Egypt in bondage and slavery. I, the Lord your God, rescued you out of that because I love you. That's who I am in my name and I welcomed you and now welcome those into your land as I welcomed you into my land. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 14, 29 echoes this very same thing, but he adds this, God does. Don't just treat foreigners or sojourners and love them as yourself, but also the fatherless, the widows, the Levites. Levites were the priests who, they didn't get a, 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 they didn't get a portion of the land. They didn't get an inheritance. They're kind of left all by themselves, you know. Levites, widows, orphans, sojourners, like... Feed these people, let them eat and be filled, and you will find the blessing of God, he says. Remember where you came from. Don't forget, at one point, you were on the outside of God's family too. You're an outsider looking in, and remember how lonely that was and how hard that was, and now that you're on the inside, don't forget where you were and keep pushing everybody out. Welcome them in as well. Because the same Lord... Their God is the Lord, our God. Amen? Amen. What God is saying to the Israelites is now you have an identity in a home and now your values shall be my values and the world's going to see me through you. Old Testament, clear. There's many more. New Testament, Jesus set the example for us, right? Everyone wants to get to Jesus. Here's Jesus. What did he do? He ate with the most unlikely people, right? Sinners and tax collectors, and they all got ridiculed for it. Like, what are you doing, Jesus? I'm living my life the way you should be living it. When people came to Jesus, he didn't turn anybody away based on their background, their education, their economic status. He, he welcomed, and he welcomed, and he had no boundaries to his welcome. The sick, the poor, the wealthy, the religious, the non-religious, they were all welcomed to Jesus. New Testament has some clear directions for us on how we carry out this theme from the Old Testament to New Testament. Romans 12, we read that one, 1 Peter 4. Did you realize this, that part of the job description of your elders, the men who have been gifted and qualified and called to lead the church, part of their job description is they must be hospitable, 1 Timothy 3.2. In other words, they can have everything right, but if they're not welcoming to people, sorry, you don't qualify for the role. 1 Timothy 5.10, widows or women that honor the Lord and are exemplary in their lives. One of the things that they, they so, do so well, right in the middle of that list as well, is hospitality. Not just getting, but giving and receiving people into their lives. Actually, Jesus even tells us how to throw a party. Luke chapter 12, verses 12 to 14. Here's what Jesus says. He says, you want to know how to throw a real party that's going to honor God? Here's how you do it. Again, totally different than the way we think in our North American culture. He said this to a man who invited him to a party. When you give a dinner or banquet, do not invite your friends, 
or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you will be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Like who puts them on their guest list, right? But then you'll be blessed because they can't repay you. For you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. In other words, let's not just have family gatherings among believers. Let's actually invite the people that no one would think about inviting. Like, like anybody can invite the rich, wealthy people, right? And have all the, their friends. They're like, everybody throws parties like that. Hey, believers, when you throw a party, do it completely radically different. So we'll be like, what are they inviting them for? You don't need the Holy Spirit in you to throw any kind of party, but you need the Holy Spirit in you to give you love for others to throw Jesus type of party. It's a picture of hospitality. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality, there's the word again, to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. So we actually reach out to strangers. Out of our comfort zones, reach out to strangers. You know, you know, we might actually be doing, we might actually be entertaining angels. What's that referring to? I think it's referring to Genesis chapter 18 when Abraham did that. And he's like, look what happened to Abraham. Maybe it's going to happen to you. You don't want to miss out on that blessing, do you? Some people think that that's passe, that doesn't happen in the New Testament, and that's kind of old school. It's looking at the past. I think it's looking at the past and the present and the future. I believe that that is telling us that when we entertain people, we could be unknowingly entertaining angels. Jesus told us in Matthew 25, you know, the judgment, remember the judgment? And he's like, hey, come and stand on my right hand. You know, you're welcomed in. Well, why should I be welcomed in? What did he say? Well, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was ill, you came to me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And they're like, what? We didn't do any of those things, Jesus. He's like, yes, you did. When you did to the least of these, you did it for who? Me. You did it for me. When we welcome others, we're actually welcoming in Jesus Christ. We do it for the least of these, you welcome into Jesus Christ. And we don't know who we're entertaining when we welcome others. We don't know the blessing we could be missing. I always wrestle with this passage, Hebrews 13, when I believed, you know, the, you do it to the least of these, you do it to me. I wrestle with that Hebrews 13 passage. A number of years ago, I went into my office uh, one Monday when I was a youth pastor, and I was having my tooth pulled that day, so I wanted to get ahead of the game, so I knew I was going to have a throbbing, it was a wisdom tooth, now you know where it went, it's gone. And so I went in early, and I opened my window to get some air, and there's a, a guy tinting outside of my office, and I'm like, this is weird. So I went around the side to like say hello to him, and he's like, oh, sorry, I just, you know, I'm not trying to kick you out, I'm just like, who are you, what are you doing here? He worked for the fair, and he's just kind of tenting on the way outside of town, I'm like, well, this is perfect, like, Kind of see things this way still, like maybe, maybe God's appointed for me to meet you. You're tented outside of my office. That's pretty, pretty straightforward, don't you think? So why don't I grab you coffee? Maybe I could share the gospel with you. And, and so we started driving down the road in my car, and I'm honestly watching my wallet. It was in this pocket for sure on the opposite side, and I'm watching all my stuff, really suspicious-like. We started talking about Christ, and, and uh, he told me uh, he was a, a Christian, but I didn't really get, have the time to flesh that out, what that meant, and he grabbed his coffee and on his way. And so I went home for lunch, and I was like, Ruth, like, I just met this guy, and I just had this nagging impression I should talk to him further, but, you know, we didn't really have the opportunity, and, and he's gone, and so anyways, I went from my house to the dentist office, and he did a good job of pulling that big old wisdom tooth out and left me with the great big, you know, the guard who's talking to him, can't even talk. As I'm pulling out of the dentist office, there's the same guy, his name was David, I still remember his name, his first name and last name, the year he was born, I don't know why, it's etched in my mind. Um, I asked him the year he was born, because I want to see if he was on the police register, and maybe... <laughs> How little faith I have, eh? And there he is walking across the street, and I was like, wow, this is, there's the guy. And I was like, 
okay, Lord, uh, if I go around the block, he's at the next block. When he's there, then I'll know it's from you to pick him up and thinking there's no way he's going to be there. So I went around the block and sure enough, got behind every slow car going. When I pulled up to the block, there he is walking across the street. I was like, David, David, you know, one of those like, get in. So he got in, I'm like, where are you going? He's like, I'm going to the, you know, the 401. So I was like, great, I'll drive you. It's a 20-minute drive, I'll drive you. And I, as I started, like, just want to get to the point, right? The gospel, find out what he knows about Christ and saved. And he started talking about the gospel, man. That guy was so full of biblical knowledge, it was astounding to me. Every time I'd see, he said, I'm saved for sure. When I read the Bible, when I got saved, like, I read it. Like, I consumed it. I have it all in my heart. I'm like, he's full of baloney. Doesn't have, so every time I start quoting a verse, he'd finish it for me. So I knew he wasn't playing me. And then when, when he'd ask me verses, do you know this one, Pastor? I'd be like, can you remind me? Well, you know this one, right? I'm like, where is that one found again? And so we drove, and it was like this, he took his sunglasses off and looked me in the eye, and it was like I'd been like, it was, it was, it was a weird experience. So when I dropped him off, he said to me on the way out, he's like, hey, and uh, why, why don't you look up these two verses when you get back to your office? And he gave me a couple proverbs to look up. And so with that, he said goodbye, thanks for the ride. And I was like, man, like, that, that was one unique man. Like, there's no doubt he was saved. And so I got back to my office really quick. I wrote him down because I thought it was going to be like, hey, the fool entertains, you know, or something like that. And I opened up my Bible, and the first verse he gave me was something about a, a fool, but it was about a fool who lets, gives vent to his anger, having no idea that that was one of the big issues I was struggling with at the time was my anger. And I was like, that is wild. <laughs> Stared at the verse for a little bit, and... Second verse, I looked up, and I was like, oh, what's this one going to be? And, and this one was, was about the man who, who, in the times of uncertainty, trusts the Lord, having no idea that we were in a time of uncertainty, and I was finding it impossible to sleep at night because I wasn't trusting in the Lord. Drove straight home and told my wife, like, I think I just entertained an angel. I don't know. Just a guy? Seemed like it to me. Did God use him? Absolutely. Would I have missed out on that blessing if I hadn't fulfilled my obligation to be hospitable to those, even the least of these? Absolutely. It's amazing how you can have those experiences and then your way of life just kind of morphs back to the way it always has been. Because that's the way God intended us to live our lives all the time. To have those unexpected blessings of ministering to others but being ministered to by others, even the least expected of the others as we live our lives in hospitality. And quite honestly, I grew up with this mindset. I grew up in the hospitality mindset. That's how my parents lived. And somehow I've morphed off of that into the, the cultural mindset of, of it's me, it's mine, I protect myself. And when I was a kid, though, we lived this. Like, this is how the church functioned. The North American church doesn't function like this anymore, but this is how it functioned even 30 years ago. As a pastor's kid, we didn't have much. You know how we'd do holidays? We'd travel to other people's houses and stay with them on the way to where we were going. And we'd stay with, with people in our church and their relatives and their relatives' friends and people we'd never known before. And they'd be like, oh, welcome here, Pastor Ted, my dad. And we'd stay with people we didn't know. We were welcomed in all kinds of homes growing up. We'd do pulpit exchanges. we have all kinds of people through our homes, other pastors. And we knew, knew everybody in the whole community, not just our little church, but our whole community. Why? Because we were hospitable. I remember my dad at Christmas time, he dragged people to our house that mom would be like, what are you bringing them here for? My dad would be like, well, they were going to spend the Christmas in jail, and so who wants them to spend Christmas in jail? My mom's like, Dad! He'd be like, don't worry, honey, it's just a minor crime. And they should be okay. That's just the way we lived. That's the way actually God calls us to live. 
There's such blessing in that for not just the other person, but for us. And I think we forfeit that blessing when we get to that little word hospitality. We, we chalk it up to, I had coffee with my buddy last week and Tim Horton, so I have hospitality all the time. We move on getting to the bigger things of life. Ever done that? Can I remind you there's no bigger things than investing in people. Remember the, the, the door of faith that I talked about? The top hinge is loving God. The bottom hinge is loving others. You take that bottom hinge and you cut it off and that door doesn't swing. That door of faith is broken. It's, it's dead. God has called us to a different kind of living, a living of hospitality. Here's my third and final sub-point. Gospel living includes adopting an open-door policy. Gospel living includes adopting an open door policy. I've given you the example of Jesus, rooted in the character of Jesus. It's biblically sound. I'm not making stuff up here. It's in the Bible. Go and study it more this afternoon, this week. The only thing that remains is are we going to actually live it out? The Christ is the foundation. The Bible is the walls. What's the roof on it? The roof on it is that we have to actually embrace it and live it out to have a complete house. John Piper says this, hospitality is actually a God-appointed, ready for it? Duty. Hospitality is a God-appointed duty. Legalistic pastor, duty, duty, duty. That's legalism, it's not legalism. Rooted in Christ accepting me, rooted in, in the Holy Spirit living within me to live this out. It's basically it's what we're called to do as believers. Hospitality is adopting an open door policy in your attitude and your actions to imitate Jesus Christ. And not everybody has the gift of hospitality. I know some of you are thinking, well, I don't have that gift of hospitality. Not everyone has the gift of hospitality. But as Bill Webb reminds us, nobody has the gift of inhospitality either. In other words, every Christian is called to do this for the glory of God. Hospitality is part of our new DNA. So let me help you understand here for the last part of this of what this looks like and what it's going to take in our lives as believers. We don't just want to know truth, leave here and go like, oh, that's good news, right? And how do I apply that? I want to help you apply that. So what's it look like? What does hospitality look like? And what's it going to take for us to live this out? Last thing we want is to get all this great information to leave here and nothing to change our lives. That's not life transforming at all. Here's where the Bible becomes life transforming. We understand what it means to live it out. And so what does it mean to live it out? There's three things, and bear with me in my uncoolness, but I've come up with three things. It's to welcome others into my crib or my home. You'll see why I put crib there. Welcome to my church, and welcome to my community. Had to have another C, and there's no other word except for crib, so <laughs> there you go. You'll never forget it, right? Your uncool pastor used crib in church. Here's what welcoming others looks like, and, and I don't want to say this glibly. I just want to give you a bunch of glib things. Like, like honestly, even the, the biblical understanding of this, it's messed with me this week. It's rearranged the way that I think about my life and about, and about how I'm living my life and I'm really living on mission for Jesus. Or I have all these intellectual things I say, but then I live divorced from them over here. It's like it's, it's piercing your pastor as much as it's piercing you, I hope. 
But here's where it starts. It starts opening my heart to saying, Jesus, I know this is how you called me to live. And so I'm going to start by opening up my home. I'm not going to use crib anymore. It's just for the outline. I'm going to start by opening up my home to be used for the glory of God. Do you realize that God has given you your home? Not as a safe place of refuge, not as a place of solace where I go and shut the world out and I can be all by myself and no one can bug me anymore. He's actually given you your homes to be hospitable to those around you that you might share Jesus Christ and build up the body of believers. That's why he's given you your house. Everybody in here has one. Most of us, a place to stay. We think of it as ours and I've earned it and I've built it. This is the one thing that, you know what, oh, be nice to the outside, but this is my one private domain. That's not the way God's designed. He's designed us that we would then steward even, steward even our houses for the glory of God. I know some of you who maybe have the gift of hospitality are like, finally, pastor, preach it. Others of you are like, man, this is making me really uncomfortable. That's the one thing I have that's mine. For all of us this morning, it's like when it comes to our homes, it's, it's got to be this. God, use me. Use it. That I might be a blessing through what you've given me. Here's where, here's, where, here's where it starts. It's, it starts with stop waiting for someone else to do it and being upset with everyone else who's not doing it and just do it yourself. Start opening up your home and opening up your doors and saying, who's going to join me in my home? And I get it. There's, it's busy and there's things going on, but, but let's be honest. We don't have time for the things that God calls us to. Then we don't have time for God. And for those of you overzealous people who maybe this is your gift and you love this stuff, don't expect everyone else to also live this out in the same way you're called to. If you're called to have your house open every Friday night, every week, and maybe Tuesdays too, and you have strangers sleeping and all kinds of stuff, like awesome, praise the Lord. Don't look down on other people for what they're not doing. Just set the example for what we should all be doing. It's going to be lived out differently in every home. Some people are going to be the once a week or some people are going to be the, the every other month or the monthly or the bi-monthly or in different ways we can exercise it. Some people are going to do it not in their own home but in a restaurant. There's different ways to do this. But the point is, is that we're all called to do it. Some people in our church are going to take seriously the call to adopt children. Awesome. Some people in our church are going to take seriously the call to foster children. Fantastic. I read it for you in Leviticus, in Deuteronomy, right? Bringing strangers into our home. Deuteronomy said, clearly that's, that's, that's orphans and widows. Do you realize that there's an orphan crisis in our world today in North America? There's all kinds of people, young kids with no place to go. They have no place to go. We look at it as, what's well, the government's job to take care of them? Is it the government's job to take care of them? According to God, whose job is it? Ours, the churches. Some people have, have the means and the ability to do that. They're going to take kids into their home to foster and adopt. And, and does that mean that everybody here has to foster and adopt? You're not a good Christian? Does it mean that? No. But what can we do to those who have that gifting and that calling? We can rally around them. We can pray for them. We can support them through finances. We can give them breaks from every mom needs a break, right? Mom's with me? Yeah, there we go. I thought you guys were here for a second. That's the place for an amen for sure. <laughs> we can give them breaks and be in this mission with them. The point is we are all called to have Jesus Christ's DNA of hospitality in us. I don't think we realize this, but one pastor, one famous pastor said this this week that we have to, I think, understand to get the fullness of the, the text even. 
We don't realize that when we open our door to someone, we're telling them, you matter to me and to God. It's not just a coffee. It's not just a quick visit. You're actually telling them, you matter to me and to God. You may think you're saying, come for a visit, but what the guest truly hears is, I'm worth the effort. Or, my own words, your life matters. And when we don't open those doors, it's almost like we tell people we love people, but really we don't. We love you just, I'm all about me and this is my space. We need to start looking for ways to tell people that they matter. Yes, it's good to stand on the street corner and preach. It's good to pass out tracts, absolutely. But it's also fantastic to welcome people into our homes and to tell them their lives matter. To get with the body of believers. Yes, serving is a great place to start relationships and, and, and welcome as we get in the body of, get your people in your church over to your house and have conversations. And this is a unique setting right here. How many people talk in this setting? That'd be me. And you come in, you hear me talk, and you leave. But if you're not having people around your table to talk, all these one another's are just intellectual concepts in our brains and not the actual reality of our lives. But that's where community and life really happens. Welcome to my crib is the first way. Welcome to my church is the second way. I hope you guys realize this. We emphasized it over and over at the beginning, maybe not so much in the recent days, but our church is not a clique and it's not a country club. It is a church. In other words, I don't come here because I'm a member of this church and I have all my little group of friends here and, and this is it and, and we come here for us and it's for us. Everybody else, you come in, you're like, ooh, what's this person doing in church? That's not it. That's country club. Church is like we want everybody else to come to. I'm gonna invite you. I'm gonna open the doors wide. I'm gonna open my arms wide. And when you come in, you're not gonna be standing in the foyer looking really awkward. You're gonna be in you're going to be pummeled with people coming and saying, welcome to our church. Welcome to my friend circle. Sometimes I think we in the church, we get in our little small groups and we get so tight shoulder to shoulder, arms around each other, when someone tries to squeeze in there, we're like, oh, we're already too tight. Oh, we don't have any room for you. You're too tight. We never say that, right? But that's how we operate. And in essence, we say, love you, but from a distance, please. Christ is like, my church isn't a country club. It's not a clique. Get over yourselves. Get beyond yourselves. Live like I did. Remember Jesus? He welcomed everybody of all races, walks of life, thought like him, didn't think like him, looked like him, didn't look like him. We're all welcome here. Even the church, we like to segregate ourselves according to our little nationalities and what we like. And like let's drop all those things. When people come in the church and they encounter, people welcome them as Christ has welcomed them. Open arms. Remember we went to one of our churches I was a youth pastor at, an associate pastor actually, and we got to the church and the vote went my way, I guess, because they voted back in those days. And we got there and the first week we were so excited to get involved and Ruth went to one of the women and said, hey, there's a women's group I see on Tuesday mornings. Like, I'm in. The lady's like, oh, sorry, we don't have any room. Well, maybe you didn't know I'm the, I'm the new associate pastor's wife. She's like, oh, no, we know who you are, but we know we have our little group and, and there's just not any room in there anymore. I'm so sorry. You have to find another place. That set the stage for the whole two and a half years. Notice, two and a half years we were in that church because there was no room for anybody else to join. Devastating to the heart of God, devastating to the credibility of Christ. 
I want to encourage you to think welcome ministry. And even if you're not on the welcome ministry, you know what you're part of? Even coming to this church, you're part of the welcome ministry. There you go. You all got a roll. I don't want a roll. Too bad. You got a roll. For service right here. What are you coming here for? Yes, to be with your friends and to get fed by the word of God. What are you coming here for? To welcome others in the family of God. People would see Jesus Christ. Church is one of the greatest avenues that God has, has given us to welcome people into his family. Here's the last one. Welcome to my community. Welcome to my community. A lot of debate going on these days and in the world, what we do with different people. Like Canada, we have wide open borders, as you know, and big debates in the United States about, you know, should we let people in? What do we do if they get in? And, and here's the reality that God has called us to. I read that passage in Leviticus, right? When people from other lands come across the pond, not just, not just cross our paths, but come across the pond into our land, what are we supposed to do with them? As God's people were told in Leviticus, what are we supposed to do? Welcome them and love them. I'm amazed at this evangelical debate, and I, I've honestly watched with anticipation of where we're all going to land on this. And, and you know, there's some here that we land with Trump, they shouldn't be allowed in here. And someone here, like, we, we land over here, and everybody should come from everywhere. And where do we land as a Christians? We, we definitely don't line up on this side, pushing people away. We line up on this side, welcoming them in. It's amazing, God's given us the, the, the commission to go and make disciples, go and make disciples, go and make disciples. Like 50 years ago, you'd have to pack up your canoe and get across the ocean and go make disciples. Guess what? We have airplanes that are bringing them to us. We have boats bringing them to us by the airplane load, by the bus load, or by the boat load. And, and what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to embrace them in the way that Christ has embraced us. There's no nationality applied to Christian in heaven. In heaven, do you realize what it's going to be? It's going to be every tribe and every nation and every tongue. It's going to be the worship service of all worship services, one that I can't wait to get to. Amen. And our church is supposed to reflect that here on earth. Here in Niagara, at this church, Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara, for the glory of God. I'm amazed that stats last week I read said evangelical Christians line up on this side more than this side. I'm like, how is that biblical? Even after studying this, again, I wasn't planning on studying this. After studying this, I'm like, we, we can't line up on this side. We have to line up on this side because this is where Jesus lines up. I know you're thinking about the scary, pastor, dangerous. It is a dangerous world out there for sure, Right? Different today than it was 50 years ago when our parents were growing up. So I want to encourage you as you live this out, be cautious, be wise, right? No, it preaches doesn't mean that you're downtown St. Catharines at one o'clock in the morning as a single girl and you see a drunk guy and you pick him up in your car all by yourself because, well, I'm just being hospitable. That's just dumb. <laughs> I just don't want to be on the hook for that, Right? There's time to use wisdom and discernment. You know, this person, just don't know if I should bring him to my house with my little kids at this point. There's ways to be hospitable without, you know what I'm saying? You get what I'm putting down? You get what I'm putting down? I'm not negating all I just said, but wisdom, right? Be cautious. But I also want to encourage you with this, because I think caution is a side we all err on at this point in our history. Also be courageous. Also be courageous. I don't think we need to be encouraged to be cautious, I think we need to be encouraged to be courageous and, and, and step out in faith and step out of our comfort zone and do things that are maybe not normal that, that may make me a little 
at, at odds with even my own heart at times, but we do this. Why? We do this trusting that God is not just going to guide us, but he's also going to guard us. He's also going to guard us as we live out his calling. Be courageous. That's what it looks like. Quickly, here's what it takes. It's one thing to say all these things, but here's what it's really going to take. It's really going to take us saying, God, I want to love you and love others like you've called me to. It takes us opening our heart, opening up our homes, opening up our church and our community. It takes these three characteristics, which maybe don't come naturally to us. It takes vulnerability. It takes an ability to let others in and really know you and allow others in your space. And I think a lot of times that's what most of us are afraid of, the vulnerability. What if they find out that I'm not near as good as I look at church? Well, then great. Then you can tell them that you live out the true gospel. But what if they see my little home that's not too fancy? Well, if they're worried about your little home that's not too fancy, who cares? That's their problem. What if, they, what if they see that I have a lot and, and they might judge me like, who, who cares? They use the things you have for God's glory. What if I get hurt? All been there. Put ourselves out there, got hurt. It's not about self-protection. It's about trusting Jesus with our lives. What if they come and they don't know what, don't know what to say, they don't have a conversation, I'm just, shy person, here's a good suggestion for you. Why don't you invite somebody in our church that does talk well? We have a lot of people with the gift of gab in our church. <laughs> Why don't you invite another couple with them? You can sit back and watch. <laughs> you find yourself getting a lot of invites lately. It might be because you have the gift of gab. You know, <laughs> Honey, our social calendar is filling up. What's going on? Maybe it's because you have the gift of gab. What if they say no? Then they don't want to come. Find somebody else that you can invite to your place to show hospitality. It takes vulnerability though, doesn't it? Out of my comfort zone into God's protection zone. It takes this. It takes intentionality. We have got to be the most busy people that have ever lived in the course of human history. It takes us being intentional, purposeful, I'm going to put it on my calendar and I'm going to make this night available. I'm going to start inviting until somebody fills it up. And when they say no, I'm going to invite somebody else. And if they have to cancel, we'll make another date. But we're going to make this happen. We're going to do it. No options. I want to be an authentic Christian. I want to see God alive. I want to be blessed. I want to bless others. I'm going to be intentional with this. No longer going to keep to myself. I'm going to bless others. It's a determined effort to do it. I can preach. I can tell, but you have to be the one to do it. Even today, before you leave, the person in this room that you've been looking at, you're like, man, I've had for the last year, two years, three years, four years, five years, six years, wanted to get to know you. Well, today's the day. It's going to happen. We're going to get together. We're going to have you over sometime. We're going to get together and make it happen. Today's the day. Before you leave today, in the foyer, make it happen. Maybe you want a radical step of faith. Here's one. Maybe you want a radical step of faith. And there's someone in the church that you don't want to get to know. And you've determined you never want to get to know them. Well, here's what the Bible says. You should maybe take an effort to like find that person after church. Extend yourself a little bit and get together with them and see how God grows you and grows them. Someone said to me after first service, you made this really awkward because when people are coming to me now, I don't know if it's because I'm, they want to get to know me. <laughs> or, or because I'm the one that they didn't want to know. I pat him on the shoulder. He's like, you're the latter for sure. <laughs> Just kidding. 
You get the point. It takes intentionality. It's not going to happen by itself. It takes persistence. It takes getting to the mindset that, that we're going to do this. MacArthur, John MacArthur says this, Biblical hospitality shows nothing of the poor Richard's almanac mentality that says fish and guests smell after three days. I'm going to do it and I'm going to keep doing it because Jesus loves me and I love Jesus and I love people. Intentional. It takes this also. It takes generosity. This is going to cost me something, Pastor, more than time. It's going to cost me out of my pocket, which I hold so dearly. It takes generosity. I want to encourage you this. It doesn't take a seven-course meal to be hospitable. I've been to people's houses with a glass of water and a handful of peanuts, and you know what? It's been a fantastic time. I've been to people's houses with just the water and not the peanuts. It's been also equally good. We're not trying to impress each other. We're not trying to dazzle each other. But there's a sense of, let's be generous. If you're going to invest in anything, forget about your silly portfolios, which could collapse tomorrow. Let's invest in people with the eternal dividends. It's going to last forever. It takes generosity. It takes a commitment that I'm just going to grab this responsibility and I'm going to do it. Being honest, a lot of people come into the church today. They come into the church and they expect their whole faith to be programmed. They want our church to take them by the hand. They want everything to be programmed by the church and the church is going to line everything up for me. I don't have to think. I don't have to act. I don't have to go you know, out of my comfort zone. And, oh, the church is going to live my faith from the church doesn't live your faith for you at all. It's not the church's responsibility to program things. We do, yes, to help get you going, but also this whole thing of responsibility lies on you. Hospitality is not a program of the church. It's a byproduct of Christ living in me. Hospitality is not a program of the church. It's a byproduct of Christ in my life. And by serving others, we serve Christ and we promote the spread of God's truth within the body of believers and outside to the world as well. You'll never read, you'll never read hospitality the same, will you? You'll never read it the same. 1 Peter 4.9 Show hospitality to one another without grumbling, for this is what it is to love God and love people. Let me pray. <clears throat> Father, as we close our service today, we have two things that we want to say to you right now. First is thank you. Thank you, Jesus, for modeling and demonstrating hospitality to us in the most profound of ways that you came and you gave up your heavenly dwelling. You came and found us and, and turned us around and brought us into uh, God's family and got us into, brought us into God's presence where you will meet our every need forever and ever long after this world is gone. Thank you for demonstrating that for us in the most profound of ways through, through the cross of Jesus Christ. Help us, God, first and foremost through faith and repentance buy into that truth before anything else today. God, thank you for calling us uh, to be a part of this family. And God's our second thing we want to say is help us. Thank you, God, but help us. Help us, God, not just know the scriptures, not just be able to recite the scriptures to each other, but to actually live out the truth of the one another's on a daily basis. Inspire us, Lord, empower us. Would you help us take steps of faith where we have no faith, God? Would you even mend relationships, maybe through hospitality of, of broken relationships that we've been carrying for many years? 
God, but ultimately, would you help us both within the church and outside the church extend loving and gracious invitations of hospitality, welcoming people into our hearts, our homes, our church, and our community for the glory of Jesus Christ. God, would we be a true church, not a superficial one, not one that goes through the motions, not the one that talks the talk but doesn't walk the walk. Would you help us be the true living embodiment of Jesus Christ? to the world around us, in Jesus' name, amen.